Hi everyone, and welcome to church. So today we're gonna be starting a new series uh, called More Than a Feeling. And in this, we're gonna be talking about God's emotions versus our emotions and how those things differ and yet we're supposed to look the same. So let's just dive right in. We got a lot to cover. So we're just gonna dive right in and we're gonna be going through the book of John chapter 15. So if you get your Bibles ready and turn to the book of John chapter 15. And we're going to start in verse 9. And it says this, Jesus is talking and he says, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard, heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you that you love one another. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you have showed us the example of how to emote properly and how to work with our emotions in relationship to your emotions. I pray that as we study through your emotions and we look at scripture to point to the kind of God that you are, I pray that we would be encouraged by the fact that you are personal, that you take our emotions into consideration, and Lord, that you also, you've given us this gift of being able to show love, to show anger, to show all of these things in a righteous and godly way. So Lord, I pray that you would teach us, that you would show us, and that your word would be prevalent in our time together. We love you and we thank you in your name. Amen. So as we seek through this kind of first uh, emotion that we're going to be talking about today, we're going to be actually seeking through a lot of feelings of God. And we are, we are clear that God doesn't emote the same way that we emote. He doesn't, he's not a human, and so he doesn't show, show the same kind of emotion as a human person would. And so we're going to spend time looking to God as our example of how we are to worship him through our own emotions. And the first emotion that we're going to be going through today is joy. And I may have caught you guys off guard with some of that because you might have thought it's love. No, we're, today we're going to be talking about the joy of God. And so we're going to ask the question first and foremost, what gives God joy? And there's a few things. One of the main things that will give God joy is his glorification. For example, let's read and let's go back in chapter 15 of John and let's read some examples of God's glorification. It says this, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken in you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them to throw them into the fire. 
and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that, w- that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. So we see this picture of when we are bearing fruit, that glorifies God. And when we glorify God, he is joyful. He gets joy out of our glorification of him. Galatians 5.22 says this, it says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there, such there is no law. The fruit of the spirit being lived out by his children brings God great joy. And so there's this idea that when we bear the fruit of the spirit, which it's a little pet peeve of mine. The fruit of the Spirit is a singular term, not a plural term. The fruit of the Spirit is love. All of these other things that comes, come after that are descriptions of what love looks like or, or how we are to um, exude that love towards others. And so, so the fruit of the Spirit, when we are bearing love, when we are showing love towards one another, that's bearing the fruit of the Spirit. That is growing more fruit. That is bearing fruit. And so... When in the first, the first one after this, we see this, but the fruit of the spirit is love. And in that love, we see joy. And so in that joy, when we do that, we are able to glorify God. We live our lives towards that and God is glorified. And when God is glorified, God has joy. And so that's the first one is, so when we bear fruit, that glorifies God. The second way that we can glorify God is when we abide in Christ, And we see that, uh, well, throughout this whole section of chapter 15, uh, but specifically in verse 4, it says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. And I want to turn to 1 John chapter 2, if you will. 1 John chapter 2 says this. It's starting in verse 3. Now by this we know that we know him. If we keep his commandments, he who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this, we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him, in him ought himself to walk just as he walked. And so we see this picture here of the idea that If we are truly abiding in Christ, because oftentimes we wonder what that even looks like, is how do I abide in Christ? Well, right there, 1 John gives us a perfect example of that. We abide in Christ by obeying his commandments. That's that's how we abide in Christ. And so we see this idea that, that obeying his commandments and doing what he says in his word, that is a way that we can glorify God And again, I'm going to go back on this and it's going to seem really repetitive, but when we glorify God, God gets great joy out of that and he exudes joy and more joy on top of that. And so we see this idea that abiding in Christ glorifies God and when we glorify God, he is joyful. And so this idea of, I'm not saying that it's salvation based, so make sure you're clear on that. I'm not saying that our works save us. What I am doing though is saying that our works show that we obey our father just as Jesus obeyed his father even unto death and we're going to talk about that even 
more, but we fellowship with him. We worship him. We pray and commune with him. And when we do those things, we bear more fruit. And that allows us to bring our will into subjection and obedience to his will and not the other way around. And then finally, in this first section of glorifying God, the third point, so we have when we bear fruit, that glorifies God. When we abide in Christ, that glorifies God. And then also we glorify him, third and finally, we glorify him through the prioritization of him and his word in our lives. If you look in John chapter 15 in verses 7 and 8, it says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. There is some conditional stuff on this. We go to God in knowing his word. When we are in his word, when we know his word, when we're in communion with him, again, through worship, prayer, and the reading of his word, then he is even more able to show us his will for us. And then our will aligns with his will and what we ask he is able to give. And it, we're going to talk about it in greater detail later, but God finds joy in giving us the things that we, we need. And so Hebrews 11.6 says this, But without faith it is impossible to please him, speaking of God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And his word is the primary way that he has given us in today's modern times. His word is what he has given us to diligently seek him. His word is what we have to diligently seek him. Yes, books are great and YouTube videos are great and sermons are great and all of those kinds of things are fantastic and we should be taking those kinds of things in because it spurs us on to a greater faith in him. But if we truly want to know God, we should be reading his word. If we truly want to know his will for our, our lives, we should be reading his word. If we truly want to see him work in our hearts and in our lives and actually change us from who we used to be to who he wants us to be, we should be, you guessed it, reading his word. And so that is that diligence in seeking him, that, that continual faith in seeking him. We seek him out. As Paul talked to the Bereans, uh, they went home and they said, Paul, we like what you're saying, but we're going to go check it out first before we say yes or no, because we want to make sure that scripture aligns, or sorry, that you align with what scripture says, because it's easy to twist scripture. It's easy to twist words and try and make it sound like one thing. And really, that's not what scripture says at all. And, and we all should be Bereans. Even listening to this message, you should be flipping through your Bible. You should be looking and checking what I am saying to make sure that it lines up with what scripture says. And anything that doesn't line up with what scripture says, uh, you can just remove that from even thinking that it's a good thing. Knowing his word is knowing him. We gain so much through reading and studying his word, worshiping him in spirit and in truth and communing with him in prayer. And so having that quiet time is what a lot of people call it. That time away from all the noise of life, away from other people, away from all the distractions in life is so key, in, especially in today's society, because everything has a power button now. And so to get away from something with a power button and actually just spend time seeking the Lord diligently, well, that brings God glory. That glorifies God. And when God is glorified, he is joyful. It's, it's 
kind of circular reasoning, but glorifying God is one thing that brings him joy. He created us to worship him and to bring glory to him. So when we glorify him, he experiences joy. And when we glorify him, we obey his will. When we obey him, he has joy. Do you see how this kind of goes cyclical a little bit? There's this idea that when we are in obedience to the Father, he is well pleased. Again, Jesus talked about it where he, he talked about not doing his own will, but his father's will. And his father said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And a big part of that was his obedience to the father's will and not just looking for his own will to be done. Not my will, but yours be done. <clears throat> All right, so first we have God gets joy or is given joy through our obedience. Secondly, we want to look at our obedience to God brings joy. Sorry, our first point was the glorification of God. Now we're going to look more into this idea of obeying God and how that brings him joy. So again, we want to turn to uh, John 15, and we're going to read in verses 9 and 10. It says, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So again, just a few things we want to look at in how we can obey and bring God joy. We obey by abiding in Christ's love. So turn one page probably to your left, and we're going to read through John chapter 14, starting in verse 15. It says this, it says, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells in you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. The Holy Spirit helps us to follow God, and we glorify God through obeying him, obedience to his word. Now, we have a different standard here because we are not of the world anymore. The world does not have this helper that Jesus is talking about here because this helper wasn't, isn't around. The Holy Spirit is not around for the world. The Holy Spirit is around for us. Now, again, the Holy Spirit still works in the world. The, the Holy Spirit is the one who uh, convicts of sin in, in the unbeliever's life. So I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit is negated in the world. But the helper that comes from the Holy Spirit, the, the help that comes from the Holy Spirit and those kinds of things is, is reserved for those who love Jesus. And specifically, if you love Jesus, you keep his commandments. That's a, that's a prerequisite. It means if you are going to be Jesus' disciples, it means that you must love him. Well, if you love him, it means that you must obey him and you must keep his commandments. It means that we prioritize God over everything else. So we talked about a couple uh, a couple weeks ago, instead of filtering scripture through my opinions and my ideas and my feelings about how life should be, we bring our feelings and our emotions and our opinions and what we do and everything we do under subjection to the scriptures and we filter those opinions through the scriptures. And if the scriptures say that that's a stupid way of thinking, then we get rid of that way of thinking and we think differently. That is obedience to his commandments. So first off, we abide in Christ's <clears throat> love and that obeys uh, God. Secondly, we obey by living a holy life. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. If you just keep your finger there 
uh, in uh, John. We'll be turning back to it shortly. But just go to 1 Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> and we're going to start reading in verse 13. And it says this, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. I love that phrase, gird up the loins of your mind. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest <clears throat> rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy, quoting through uh, Leviticus right there. And it figures, I know that this is ironic to some, but it figures that a holy God gets joyful or is brought joy through a creation, his creation, living holy lives. It figures that God takes pleasure in us living a holy life. And not only that, I think we do ourselves a disservice by thinking that a holy life is a stuffy, boring, hard life to live. Now, there are difficult things about living a holy life, don't get me wrong. It, it means dying to yourself. But the joy that comes out of living a holy life, the joy that is brought forth because I am living a holy life that isn't following this world, is set apart from this world, is much greater than any of the negativity that people look at. I don't even experience, when I am truly living a holy life, and believe me, I'm not saying that I am perfect or holy even, but when I live towards the will of God, when I live under the direction of my Father, I find my life is much more pleasant, even in the difficulties, even in the struggles. I find that I am able to get through them a whole lot easier because I have the one who created everything to lean on in that situation. And so we obey by living a holy life. So first we looked at, oh, we obey by abiding in Christ's love. Then we looked at we obey by living a holy life. And thirdly, we obey by worshiping, praying, and studying. So turn in your Bibles to Psalm, uh, the book of Psalms, chapter 1. Psalms chapter 1 says this. <clears throat> it, said, blessed, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Now, that second half is not necessarily what we want to focus on because we don't want to be an ungodly people. We want to be a righteous man. Well, that first half of Psalm chapter 1 gives us the direction on how to do that. We meditate on the law of the Lord. We read the word. We spend time with God, and not just God, but godly people that can give us counsel in wisdom, the way that we should be living. You know, one of the things that I am very, very uh, up on or desiring to see is a bigger group of people discipling others. You know, it's great you're a Christian. I'm glad you're a Christian, or I'm glad you've accepted Christ. Now, help us help you 
by living, help us to help you show you how to live that holy life. And through that holy life that we're living, that worships God. That's, that's teaching you how to worship. It's teaching you how to pray. It's teaching you how to study the word. Our delight is, or at least our delight should be, in studying the law of the Lord. He has instructed us to study the whole counsel of God. His word and, and following his guidance is not only how obedience to the one we call king, but it's also is worshiping the worthy God of the universe. And so this is kind of a twofold one. When we worship, we are now being obedient because we have been created to be worshipers. And so this idea that I am this autonomous, separate being that just is living through this life, a mass of cells that that kind of just slammed together and now I believe in Jesus. No, that's not the way we were created. We were created for a purpose and that purpose was to bring glory to God. And again, as we've already seen, that glory that we bring to God brings him joy. But to bring him glory, we must be obeying his word. He didn't give us this book. He didn't give us these 66 books, I should say, just because he was bored one day. He gave it to us so that we would follow it. He gave it to us so that we would be encouraged to get to know him more. And this is our direct path to getting to know God the Father, God the universe, the universe creator, and God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are all in here. And if we want to truly know them, here is where we need to look. The Bible is where we need to look. Well, thirdly, we want to look at one other thing. We looked at how our glorification brings God joy. We've looked now at how our obedience to his law and to his word brings God joy. Now we want to look at how his creation brings him joy. Uh, turn, if you will, to Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to look at verse 31. And it says this, Then God saw everything that he ma had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. This is, this is interesting because God has now finished his creation. This is the creation story, if you're familiar with Genesis chapter 1. Uh, God has finished his creation, and throughout that whole time he's saying, and the Lord saw that it was good, and he made light, and it was good, and he, he made animals, and it was good, and he made the oceans, and it was good, and he made the stars in the sky, and it was good. And it has this idea that every time he finished another day, he said, yeah, that's good. Saw that it was good. Now we see at the end of his creation, he looks over all of his creation, and he says, that is very good. And it's kind of like similar, but way different, because this is not on the scope of creation of the universe. But it's kind of like when you finish a project at home, like some of you guys are DIYers and you, you know, are building, remodeling your, your bathroom or your kitchen and you finally finish that project and you stand back and you look at it and they say, hmm, that looks good. You get joy from that. Well, it's the same with God. He gets joy from looking at his creation that he has made and seeing that everything was good. So this whole chapter sees God uh, creating and seeing that his creation is in fact good and in a very not prideful way because it's impossible. Well, I don't know, maybe God being prideful is okay because he's perfect and he has every right to be prideful because he's perfect. So God kind of gives himself a pat on the back here and just says, yeah, that's good. I like what I did there. And so God takes pleasure in the work of his hands. Uh, this, 
includes his creation in general as well as specific aspects of his creation. Psalm 104 uh, verse 3 says this, May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. So it's this idea of God being happy or joyful with uh, the work of his his own hands. Uh, God is not only joyful in his creation, but his creation has the opportunity and the privilege to bring him glory. Um, and yes, again, that is through our obedience to him, and that is through just the various ways we can glorify him. And I, I underline that word privilege. We have the privilege to glorify God with our lives. We have the, the honor of getting to do this for him. Getting to, to live that holy life is a get to, not a have to. And so we need to make sure that we are very clear on that. Zephaniah, I know that that's a, that's a book that we go to a lot. Zephaniah 3 uh, verse 17 says this. It says, the Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one, will save. He will rejoice over you with, with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. It spe- this is speaking specifically of the post-tribulation uh, millennial kingdom and, and eternal reign of God. But we see this idea that God is joyful and he rejoices over us because of A, our obedience, because of B, our endurance through this life, whatever it may be. God is pleased with that and God is okay with giving himself that pat on the back when he, when he creates something that is good. Okay, so we, God takes pleasure in the work of his hands. Secondly, God gets joy from his love for us. Uh, Romans, if you turn in your Bibles to Romans uh, chapter 8, it says this, starting in verse uh, 30, I believe, 35, yes. Romans 8, verse 35 says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God has a perfect love for us. And if you want to see what kind of a perfect love is, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and read through what a perfect love actually looks like. And God has that perfect love toward us. And he takes joy in that love for us. It's kind of like saying this, he loves loving us. It is what God loves to do is love his creation. And so he takes great joy from being able to not just be with us, but minister to us. And when we obey him, it makes it that much more pleasant. Um, It's very similar to when you have kids and they, they obey something that you tell them to do and they finally get it and they finally do it. It's not that we love them more as parents it's just that we're joyful that they they finally did what we asked or they they did that thing that was so important for us to to teach them and to 
to bring them along in this journey of life. We're growing them. They're growing. We're seeing the personalities come forth and, and in appropriate ways and all those things. And so it's not that God loves us more than we obey him. It's just that he is happy that we're doing it. And so he gets joy from loving us, his creation. So we looked at God taking pleasure in the work of his hands as well as his love for us. And finally, we want to look at this. We want to look at the fact that God delights or he takes joy in his son. Isaiah 42 verse 1 says this, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect one, speaking of Jesus, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. It's important there that we note that Jesus came first to the Jews and offered up salvation to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. But the fact was, is before Jesus, the Gentiles were fairly hopeless in our, in our uh, eternal standing. Uh, there were definitely opportunities for the Gentiles to be forgiven and maybe kind of enter into pseudo relationship with God. But before Jesus Christ, it was a very complex and and hard to do thing. And most people didn't want anything to do with it. And so Jesus came and he not only saved and died for the Jews, but he also died for the Gentiles as well. And if you're, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. And so most of us are, are Gentiles. And one final, well, okay, it's not the final one. I'm lying. But uh, turn to Matthew uh, chapter 3. Uh, we want to read this, and it, and it says in uh, verse 16 of Matthew chapter 3, When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. God takes joy in what Jesus' purpose was here on earth and what he is doing even now in heaven. God takes joy in the fact that Jesus was the one that was capable of bridging the gap between sinner and God. Jesus Christ's blood on the cross is what washes those sins away and allows for our relationship with God to resume in a way that glorifies God, edifies us, all those kinds of things. And so God's son, Jesus, was completely obedient to his father. Again, we see the perfect example that Jesus was. He also loved us so much that he would die on the cross to forgive us so that we could have a restored relationship with the father. So Jesus, even being God, took joy, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, but he, he took joy in the idea that he had a love for us so much so that he wanted to see a restored relationship with us and the Father. And so he came on to this earth to die on a cross so that we could have that restored relationship with him. If you confess with your mouth and believe, then he is faithful and just to forgive. And that is it, guys. That is how important it is and how simple it is to come to a relationship. Now, after that, the, the road is long and the, the path is narrow. It is, it is not easy all of the time, but we have this eternal glory that we are going to suffer, but for a moment is what Paul says, for a far greater weight and eternal glory. And so Hebrews 12 is where we're going to kind of finish up today. 
Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says this, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, here it is, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus Christ took joy in the path that was set before him. And the reason why is because he saw the end result of his sacrifice. And the end result of his sacrifice is again that restored relationship of us to the Father. And that is how much he loves us. The joy set before him, the cross was obedient to the Father. It brings the Father joy. It glorifies God. The cross glorifies God. And that also brings the Father joy. The cross fulfills God's plan for salvation, which brings the Father joy. Again, John 15, 11 says this, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. God gets joy from our obedience and our following of Him. We get to experience that joy when we obey and follow Him. It is a marriage that is perfect between the two where we see how beautiful this relationship can be when we actually seek Him out and seek Him first. You see, there are so many people who pray a prayer when they're eight years old or have gone to church since they were three and they, they don't have that relationship with God. They, they have a Sunday morning routine or they, they have something that makes them feel good once or twice a week and, and it's just more of a chore. But see, God wants so much more than that. Jesus wanted so much more than that. And that is why he gave us his word to obey. And that is why he gave us the opportunity to glorify him through the sacrifice of our lives, offering up ourselves as a living sacrifice and a sweet-smelling aroma to the Father. And so as we walk forward in thinking about God's joy, we need to remember that when we obey God, he is joyful. When we glorify God, he is joyful. When we confess our sin, he is joyful. When we obey his law, when it, it, these things bring him joy, and that's how we should be living our lives daily. We seek him and his will so that he is well pleased with us and so that our joy may be full as well. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you've given us this example of how to live a joyful life, and, and you are a joyful God, and we thank you for that as well. You are a God that takes great pleasure in his creation, obeying him. He, he takes great pleasure in seeing the work of his hands, and we thank you for that, God. We thank you that you have provided your son as a sacrifice to bridge the gap between between us, the sinner, and God, the Father. We pray that we would not take that relationship for granted and that we would not take that sacrifice for granted, but that we would continually be offering ourselves up as a living sacrifice, just as you did. Lord, just as, just as you sacrificed your body, I pray that we, would, that we would do the same for love, for joy, for your glory and your edification, and that, God, if it is your will, we want to follow it. Help us to bring our will in subjection to your will. 
we love you, we thank you, we praise your name.